Let's pray together before we begin. You who are the source of all light, God, we honor you. We ask that as we seek your will together, that you might illuminate for us the path in which we should go, and that our hands might not be caught out, but rather used to serve you and to glorify your name. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In our conversation this month about Advent, this time of waiting and preparing for God, we found ourselves last week in Luke 21, a late portion of Luke's gospel, one of Luke's last teaching sections from Jesus in his book. We talked about signs intended to signal us for the coming presence of God. As Jesus speaks there about his second coming, and as we reflect also on his first coming. Now that we know the signs, how do we spend our time waiting for that Savior? This week we're going to read from the first portion of Luke chapter 3. Remember I said last week we're sort of working our way backwards chronologically through the book. And today we're going to start with a detailed description of the context of the gospel story and a prophecy from long ago. We're going to read Luke chapter 3, 1 through 6. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard this morning. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was the ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, the ruler of Eturia and Traconis, and Lysanus, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the books, in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, the rough roads made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This text starts off by giving us some details about the timing and context of our story. Remember that different historical periods and cultures interpret time differently than we do. And likely, the writer's intention here is not to give us just some details about what year this is occurring, though certainly people with better historical and math skills than me have done the numbering, but rather the author is trying to set the stage for what's going on in the larger world. By including in the list Tiberius and Herod and Pilate, the writer reminds the readers that the political situation is stacked against the Jewish people. 
the rulers and powers that are in place are corrupt, and they are often directly threatening to the lives of the Jews. These tyrants are well-known in their areas and well-known even to us now, and there is little safety for those who oppose them. The inclusion of Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests in this list, is intended to express the complications of religion and state. We know that Annas was instituted as high priest right after the formation of Judea as a Roman province by the Roman ruler Quirinius. And Caiaphas, who is the son-in-law of Annas, believed it was one of the longest serving high priests during this time, 18 years. And no one could serve as high priest for 18 years under Roman rule without making some exceptions to their own faith to keep themselves in power. Each of these stories help compose for us a larger picture for then and now as to a world in which political and religious instability were a part of their everyday life. And into that world, many saviors would come. Politicians, religious rulers, extremists of every kind. And some of them were killed. Some of them shipped off to Rome for insurrection. Some of them executed by the state or any number of methods to ensure that they did not continue in that way. And as we see the introduction of John, the son of Zechariah, often to us called John the Baptist, we may expect him from these three short verses to be a savior. He has all of the markings of one, right? Uh, Earlier, he receives a divine birth announcement and a remarkable, unusual birth story. He gets a calling directly from God to minister. And he seems, as the writer says, to fulfill this prophecy from the book of Isaiah. He would make, in many regards, a great savior. But the people, and we ourselves will soon find out as we continue to read, that though he is a central figure, he is not the coming one. He's sort of a decoy, if you will, an easily mistaken savior. But he confesses early on, I am not the one you are waiting for. There is one who will come after me even greater than I. And John instead does his part to tell of that coming one. John's specific portion of this narrative starts with the statement, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. We don't know how this word comes, whether by visions or dreams, whether by a messenger or something else. But John is confident in his calling. And we know this because John is already in the wilderness when he receives his calling from God. This is not surprising in some sense, uh, because John has been marked from his birth as one on whom God has placed a calling, an intentional life. John was not here by circumstance, but by the divine hand of God. But John's own faithfulness is shown to us in this text, because John is waiting in the wilderness for his calling to come. He is ready and waiting. It then tells us that John goes into all the region around the Jordan River. Some translations reading going back and forth across it. 
I love the idea of John fording the river every few miles to make sure that he's crossed enough ground, spoken his message. And what is he doing? He is proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He's not the first person to proclaim this baptism, nor is this the first time in Jewish history that a water immersive cleaning is used to create ritual purity. But there is something about John's message that is different, that is distinct, because the people come in droves to hear what he has to say. Maybe it is, as we see in verse 3, the need for repentance as an indication of your forgiveness. Maybe it is the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit coming to signal Jesus's coming. But no matter the reason, we see John wandering about, bringing his message to all this region. The whole text that we read today is particularly noisy, even for a biblical text. We see first in verse 3 when John is proclaiming, not something you do in hushed tones or when you're trying to avoid being seen by someone in the grocery store. You can imagine the noises of his message itself, as well as the noise and movement of his travel. The daily clattering as he packs up his small bag of belongings and moves on to the next place. The splashes as he wades through the water when it narrows. The dry, dull thump of his feet in the dirt of the Judean wilderness. Then in the prophetic section, it gets even louder. It describes the voice as calling out, crying out. Some translations even say shouting. And this crying out is done into the wilderness, which is already itself, by the way, a very noisy place. The wilderness is not just an uninhabited by people sort of location, but it also carries this underlying threat. What is in the wilderness is not something you want to be found by. There is harm and danger there. And I can almost see in my mind John standing in the empty, wild space of Judea, shouting to be heard to tell his message and the responding echoes of the cawing crows and the noisy shuffle of the snakes in the grass. To cry out into the wilderness, as John does, is to speak against the chaos, to attempt to drown out the harm by a louder, more insistent message. So what is the message? What is John speaking into the desert? This message from God, one given to us also through the prophet Isaiah. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill laid low. The uneven ground shall become level, the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. John says, the time has come. God is near, and what are you going to do about it? Isaiah's passage gives us a clue, and we will hear the message from John's mouth next week, but the instruction is prepare. 
the voice in the wilderness says, get ready. The text repeats John's proclamation from the earlier verses where John is proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John is saying this baptism, this cleansing of your sins is only part of your role and responsibility. If you are really to be ready for this coming salvation, you must be clearing the way of the Lord. And this is no small challenge. To hear the voice above the noise and chaos of the wilderness and to listen to it is already pretty bold. To begin preparing and acting for an unknown future, to prepare not just mentally but with your own body, is borderline unreasonable. But John and Isaiah leave no room for exceptions. The time is present now to prepare. And that preparation is done with your feet steadily planted, your hands moving and shifting within the community and all by yourself. The task is large of clearing the way, but it is not impossible. The writer of Luke says in the text that the prophet Isaiah is the one who spoke these things first. The passage comes from the 40th chapter of Isaiah's book, and it begins with the instructions to offer comfort to God's people, to comfort Jerusalem, to speak tenderly to the people, because they have suffered twice over for their sins. Then comes the portion we heard at the start of our sermon, echoed in the writings of Luke, one crying out loud in the wilderness that all could see God's salvation. And then there's an instruction in the middle for the listeners themselves to cry out. And they ask, what do we cry out? So at the end, we hear this message, get up to a high mountain, loudly and clearly share the news without fear. Tell the people, here is your God. After their sin, after their payment for their sin, after the offered comfort, after the work to prepare the way of the Lord, they are to stand on the tops of high places and tell the truth. God is here. In our storyline for this season, we are not there yet. God has not yet come to us. We are still in the waiting but we can see ourselves among the crowds who go out to hear this calling voice in the wilderness. And we can be convicted of his message of action. Our role as we wait and as we listen carefully for the message of God's coming is to work and clear the path. By repentance, by changing our lives and our patterns, we are taking down the mountains, leveling the valleys smoothing, straightening the roads, making a clear pathway. This work is a world-including reversal of what is, a transformation of the whole environment outside and inside. Next week, we will explore more about the internal details of this calling, but it is important for us first to see ourselves as road pavers, concrete truck drivers, shovel holders, rock lifters. We prepare the path, following where John leads by example. Our path-clearing efforts first start with our own repentance by choosing a new path. Then our work is to make the world and ourselves ready to receive this coming Savior. 
This is of particular importance as we live in a world that has many challenges to seeing the coming Christ. In order to see when Christ comes and is among us, there are things in their way. Some of those blocks are things we cannot affect. Only the Holy Spirit can move. Some of them, however, for those in our community, are blocks that we can move. And some we must acknowledge we have placed in front of them. So how do we work to clear the path in outward action that all people may see the salvation of our God? First, we can be forgivers and apologizers. Do not let someone's view of you, fair or unfair, be an obstacle to offering them forgiveness with an open hand. And do not allow your pride to prevent you from apologizing as often as is necessary. Second, we can be non-judgmental of those who are not of Christ and who act in ways we believe to be unchristianly. Judgment to those outside is often the first reason someone expresses for their disinterest in returning to faith or lack of interest in finding it in the first place. So by curbing our own impulses for it, we clear the path to their seeing God. Third, we can invite and tell by choosing to offer this opportunity to share the story through church events, through services, through studies and conversation. Even or especially with those you do not think will come. None, uh, we cannot count people out before they have a chance to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. None of these actions are for the sake of expanding our church, for adding to our numbers, for strengthening our weekly giving. They should only be done out of the deep joy of the true good news of salvation in Christ, our true joy of the coming King, our deep joy in the salvation that is for every person. In many ways, we find ourselves now in the wilderness. And if you heard the voice calling out and you yourself have set to work, then there is a chance now to clear the path so that someone else can hear the voice as well. Because of John's message, we know that God is on the move. And so we also move, seeing the beginnings of the signs to prepare a clear way for God's arrival. You've been listening to me, Pastor Kana Moore, at Hayes Christian Church. Hayes Christian Church is a non-denominational fellowship in Hayes, Kansas. We are supported by the generosity of our members, attenders, and friends. The financial support we raise goes to projects which further spread the gospel to those who do not yet know Jesus, to those local, national, and international missions, and they help keep these broadcasts free. If you would like to share a monetary gift with us, please visit our website at hayeschristianchurch.org and click on the donate button. Or you may mail your gift to P.O. Box 1111, Hayes, Kansas, 67601. If you have any questions, comments, or would like more information, we would love to hear from you. Simply go to our website and click on the Contact Us form. Thank you for your generosity, and may God bless you as you seek to follow him.